Hey guys, welcome back to the Vicious Cycle Podcast. This is your host, Kenton Gear. And uh, on this episode, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge uh, um, question and answer, a little bit of sharing, and um, just kind of checking in, see what's going on. I've got uh, a couple of cool guests coming up over the next few days, but uh, tonight it's just me. I'll be answering some questions and a few things I want to talk about. So, Welcome back. Uh, first thing, I want to start the episode by uh, sending out a prayer and a shout out to uh, Bruce Fakuda. Uh, that was a fisherman I had mentioned once in one of my early on podcasts and the last podcast pertaining to questions. He was the one, of, not the original owner, but the uh, owner of what is now the Vicious Cycle when it was by the name Hoku. Um, Bruce, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce is no longer with us. He uh, he passed uh, a couple days ago, and uh, although um, although I personally experienced uh, uh, some of the uh, pushback that comes with being in a competitive business, um, I did enjoy a lot of time fishing side by side with him for a number of years, and uh, I do now own and operate the boat that he literally caught millions of pounds out there. So. Regardless of whatever past issues we may or may have had, uh, a big shout out to Bruce Fakuda and uh, condolences to the crews and family uh, he left behind. So if you're up there, buddy, I hope you're dangling the fuck out of them. I hope uh, hope the fish are big and the prices are even better. So hope you're doing well up there. Um, Next question. So I got a question from a gentleman uh, named Marty, and his Instagram name is Marty. Oh, I'm blowing it right now. Marty Chums, I think. Marty Chums. Um, I feel bad. Yep, Marty Chums. And he asked me, he said, uh, what are my unicorn fish? Meaning, what are my dream fish, the ones that have eluded me or which ones I want to catch? And he said, in no particular order, his uh, dream fish are a longfin mako, an opa, and a swordfish. Well, I have been very fortunate enough to catch all of those fish. So um, I hope that uh, you keep putting your time in and you will get them. Uh, the longfin mako, we don't catch one very often here, but uh, they're kind of a goofy mako. They're kind of cooler looking in my experience than they actually uh, are as far as fighting. Um they're, uh, you'll know when you actually catch one. It will, uh, they're nothing like their cousin, the short fin mako. They go really hard and acrobatic and really strong. They're kind of like the goofy, uh, they're almost like a giant blue shark mako. They, they, they don't fight very well. They roll around. They're just, the way I can describe it is they're, they're like physically softer too. Their meat is, is actually softer and like, uh, so you'll know when you get one. They're, uh, they're definitely, you'll look at it and you'll be like, that's a strange looking mako. And that, and that that's the long fin. I've caught those uh, in a couple different places. We have them around Hawaii, and um, they're just kind of like a goofy mako. They're nothing really like the short fin. So I hope you catch all those. Opa, um, I've only ever caught one of those on a hand line. The rest of them I've caught on uh, long line gear. Um, and swordfish, we catch one uh, occasionally. Hand lining here in Hawaii, around the, particularly around the big island. I've been catching a few. Uh, Recently, before my boat breakdown, um, experimenting with deep dropping, I had gotten back into that, and I've been having marginal success. I've been catching. I haven't got it where it's highly 
uh, economical yet, but uh, but we we do catch those. So best of luck on all of those. So, but my unicorn fish. Oh man. Well, I'll have to be honest. Um, all my fish that I had set for myself when I was younger, I have been lucky enough to catch. Uh, the most elusive fish that I didn't think I was ever going to catch necessarily or wasn't sure if I'd ever catch was a luvar. And uh, for those of you who have never seen a luvar, a luvar, it basically, uh, if you asked a kid, you said like a, a kid in high school or elementary school rather than high school, uh, to draw you a picture of a fish, this is what the fish would look like. It's a lot like an opa um, and the fact that it's got polka dots, it's pink, it's, uh, they call it pink tuna, um, super rare. Um, I've been lucky enough to catch two of them, uh, and I caught them on back-to-back trips, and I thought I had had something figured out, and those would be end up being the only two I've ever caught, and that was quite some time ago. So I think that was just one of those kind of fluke things. But if you look at them, uh, there's more around than you catch, but they have jelly-like lips. So when they eat things, most of the time... Um, the hook just rips right out of their lips that because it's just so soft. So you have to get one um, that's just hooked. Like you get very lucky with how it's hooked or uh, hooked deep. But uh, a luvar was my uh, my white whale, uh, if you would, on uh, out at sea anyways. And um, so that was a really cool one. Um, but today, and you know, I'm a fisherman. I think, and and, and I think that uh, our wants and desires consistently change. And so, um, I mean, I want to catch everything at some point, uh, within reason. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, one of my fish I've always dreamed of catching, I'd like to catch a tiger fish, I, uh, in Africa. I've never done that. Um, I would like to catch a peacock bass in the Amazon. Um, I caught one domesticated, uh, one, I believe in Florida, um, or some kind of crossbreed of it. It wasn't like the, quite the real deal. But I'd like to catch a, a true peacock bass in the Amazon. Um, I'd also like to catch an alligator gar. Um, I have never, I've never caught a big gar. That's something I want to do. Um, arowana. Uh, that's another fish I'd like to catch. But I think, honestly, if there was one experience I'd really, really, really today would like to do, and I know this is kind of redneck, and I've reached out to a few of the celebrities in this field or people that I can find online. I would really like to go noodling. I, uh, I really want to catch a catfish by shoving my hands down into random holes and uh, have them grab onto my hand and yank them out. Um, I don't really know who to do that with. I'd like to go with somebody that obviously uh, kind of knows it. Uh, I've reached out to a couple people about actually like chartering them. Like you can charter a boat because it's one of my dreams. I... I, you know, I, anyone I found on Instagram or Facebook and uh, no one's ever gotten back to me. So I don't know if there's someone out there that does noodling trips. I've, I've gone as far as I'm willing to trade a, uh, like a marlin fishing or tuna fishing trip for someone that wants to take me properly, uh, noodle fishing and, uh, hopefully not, uh, not drowned again. For those of you that at home that don't know what noodling is and you're wondering what the hell is noodling, it's literally catching uh, catfish with your hands. Um, and so I'd be interested in doing that. That, that would be, that would definitely be on my unicorn list for sure. So if you're listening out there and you are a proficient noodler and you want to uh, take me noodling or maybe trade a trip, 
a fishing trip in Hawaii to go noodling, I am 100% down with that. And you can reach me at uh, Vicious Cycle Fishing on Instagram uh, if you want to send me a message there. And we could go from there. Let's see. Um, where else are we going here tonight? Uh, I have gotten endless, endless questions about uh, Seaspiracy. And that part of that's because I have uh, mentioned it myself. And so I'll, I will... I will I will get to that. Also, uh, Joe Dentling, uh, the gentleman I had on a few podcasts ago, very, very big response. People are love hearing the uh, older stories about what the fishery was and compared to what it was today. And so I've had so many people ask me uh, questions pertaining to Joe. I'm going to see if I can get him back so he can uh, he can better help answer some of the questions. Um, I've been averaging a little over a thousand um, downloads an episode, which so thank you everybody. But Joe's has gotten nearly two thousand people have listened to that podcast, so that's very exciting. Um, also exciting if you just kind of do the numbers. Sounds like I'm, you know, you get you're able to see uh, your your uh, analytics and. Looks like I'm getting about 150 women an episode out of out of the uh, out of the thousand plus people that have been downloading it. So that's really exciting for me to see too. Uh, it's really cool that that many people uh, are interested in what we have to say about fishing um, and the fishing industry. But it's also very very interesting to me that that many women are interested um, because in, in my own experience, I don't really see that many women involved in the fishery. So I think that's very cool. I'm. Super, super happy that you ladies are here. So thank you so much for listening. I think that is uh, very, very cool. And uh, I'm glad you're out there. And uh, just so you know, no no disrespect. When I say fishermen, I'm including all people. I've had this debate many times with women. Is it fisherwoman or fisherman? And most of the fisherwomen I know uh, say fisherman. They say it's an occupation. They don't take it personally. Uh, if you feel differently about that, I apologize. Uh, I want you to know this is an all-inclusive spot, and I respect you guys here 100%. So I hope that uh, you don't find it offensive that I often say fisherman and forget to say fisherwoman. Um, I got a question. They said, question was, how cheap are imports? Well, that's a huge, that's a huge question because that's comparing everything, but... Um, one thing I do know a lot about is about tuna imports. And um, when you say how cheap are imports, well, if you basically take a three-year average um, of what a block, so there's a trading, it's called, basically they have different things that are considered trades. But so we're just going to compare a yellowfin tuna steak, which is treated with CO, a six-ounce steak, Treated with carbon monoxide, um, if you take the three-year average, it is uh, it's about five dollars and eleven cents is is the uh, the three-year average. So to put that in perspective, for a commercial fisherman to compete uh, with a yellowfin steak at five ten, so that's five ten six ounce treated, that's trimmed and everything, uh, basically figure just to even be at that price point. You would have to. There's about a fifty percent yield on on the total weight. We'll just we'll just round that, okay? So in order to compete with the imports, 
a price of a tuna, you cut that in half, so that'd be like uh what's that like just over uh like two fifty five or something right two fifty five point five or something like that so just basically in order to compete with at the import price, a fish needs to be a, a tuna price fish would be about two dollars and fifty cents is about what they can pay a fisherman to compete with that price so um and that price, obviously, um, that's not real super strong, right? So uh, you look at what a gallon of fuel is and it continues to go up, uh, that, that's not a super strong price. So that, that kind of tells you what the U.S. fishermen are competing against uh, when you're talking about imports and why, um, like Joe Dentling had, had such strong opinions on that and how it came into the marketplace, uh, because basically the imports suppress the whole overall price of the market because um, at the end of the day, 99% of the consumers, and this is proven with sales, care more about price point than they do the actual story behind their fish. And so I hope uh, going forward that's something we can work on and greatly improve. Uh, so that, that that is a good question. Um, but... I kind of skipped over it just because it's such a huge, huge subject. But Seaspiracy, okay. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on it. And uh, I've also had a little bit of pushback on this where people are like, you got to be kidding me, right? Here's the thing about Seaspiracy. The truth is it's the best documentary I have ever seen about commercial fishing. The unfortunate part about Seaspiracy is that the people who are doing it right – are going to get hurt by it. And I have been sitting for days thinking, well, what is the answer? How do we get people to know the difference? Okay, and so first thing you want to do, and I, and I don't know for everything, but I can tell you right now, all right, if you're, you're at home and you're trying to decide whether you should have a fish or not, or you're at the supermarket, if the fish says that it is treated with carbon monoxide, you don't want to purchase that fish because that process is not legal to do in the United States. So right off the bat, you know that that fish is coming from a foreign place. Now, that doesn't mean that it was necessarily caught unethically. It just means that there's no way for you to get traceability compared to the United States where we have the most stringent laws in the uh, in, in the world pertaining to our fisheries. We're the most heavily regulated fisheries in the world. So one thing you can look at right there is if, it, if, it, if it's saying it's CO2 treated, right? If you're looking at a tuna that says CO2 treated, right off the bat, you're at the store, you see that, and you're, and you're concerned, you have concerns about, uh, you have concerns about uh, finning, uh, marine mammal interaction, uh, you know, unsustainability. If you see that the fish is gassed, don't buy it. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, there's a thing that is a thing where people always say, well, you, you know, you need that fish to keep the market going. And, and on some levels, that is true because we don't catch enough fish to fill society's demand for right now. We want, you know, today's instant society wants it. But um, my argument to that is why do we have to have uh, fish at our fingertips at all the time? 
uh, you know, if you look at how we traditionally ate um, way before everything was frozen and, uh, you know, preservatives and everything, uh, humans, we ate uh, seasonally. We ate what was available. That, that's how we ate. That was our natural, you know, that was our natural process. We, we, we caught what we could catch at that time of year. We, you know, we, we hunted what we could hunt at that time of year. We, we, we ate whatever fruits, nuts, whatever was available. So naturally we always ate, uh, we always ate by what, by what was available. So that's what I think a lot about when I think seafood is that we need to think less about it always being able to get it, but more so appreciating it like let's say that you can't get it all the time. And that's kind of what brings the value up is because if you want to do it right and you want to support the guys that are doing it right, then you're not going to be able to have that stuff instantaneous all the time. Let's be honest. You're buying sushi at 7-Eleven, okay? And you can't believe how affordable it is. Do you think for the most part that's really a sustainably caught local fish? I mean, probably not, right? Um, I have seen a couple rare examples where they actually did use um, they actually did use local fish, but I think that was like one time ever. So again, if you see CO two treated or anything about color retention, um, stay away from it. If you're concerned about uh, stay away from stay away from it. If you're concerned about uh, what's in the best interest of the ocean, because it's just it's not that again. It's not that some of those guys aren't doing it right, because there are handline fisheries. Uh, in Indonesia and places like that, that 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 do do it right, but you know you would just you would never know. There's just no way. It's it's just like they say in conspiracy. There's no way to differentiate who's doing it right and who's not. So the only way I can tell you for sure is that if it says that it's carbon monoxide treated, I can promise you it didn't come out of the United States. So um, that that is one thing right there that you can do. Uh, if you're concerned about eating tuna fish, uh, that, that's, that, that's definitely, that's the only thing so far without a huge, huge, uh, you know, traceability and marketing and, uh, you know, without all the checks and balances, uh, that would take to really do it right. The one thing you can do today, um, is, is not buy fish that are, that are gassed. That 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 that's you know that that's one thing you can do to ensure that you aren't uh, eating seafood that is you know from out of the country where it has questionable practices. So uh, that is something you can do. Um, I've had questions about the forced labor and slaves uh, on those boats. Is that true? Uh, I have Indonesian crew right now, uh, and every one of them uh, that works for me. They, every one of them has a horror story about Thailand. Uh, everyone that's in our fleet knows somebody, has a relative that has uh, taken a contract over there, either disappeared or, uh, you know, or, or the fact they worked there for three, five years, never got paid a dollar. Those stories are rampant. Those stories are 100% true. Uh, that they are probably the absolute worst country of origin as far as any seafood. I, I highly recommend staying away from anything from Thailand. It's just the, the stories are definitely sickening and I've heard enough stories to back it up from my own personal experience that, yeah, definitely stay away from anything coming out of Thailand. They are definitely doing it wrong and, uh, and they, they're, 
without a doubt have all kinds of shady practices this day that involve slavery and that is true so definitely stay away from anything from thailand um what do i think about the plant-based takeaway okay well i i mean i don't totally agree with the plant-based takeaway uh so if that if that's what this question means i i i don't i don't agree with the plant-based takeaway but it's easy to uh understand that after when you, when you dig deeper into that documentary, you can kind of understand where they're coming from that. And, and again, this is coming from, I'm a hardcore killer. Like I, I am a commercial fisherman. And so I don't want you to think that I'm some environmentalist greenie because I'm not, but uh, there is a right way and a wrong way to do stuff. So no, I don't think a plant-based diet is the right answer, but yes, I think traceability is the right answer. And I think we have a long way to go in the industry and it's not going to get better unless we decide that uh, ahi or anything, like, you know, in this case, so I'm just going to say tuna because I know tunas. This is my life, right? So it's not going to get better in those places until the value of those fish go up to the consumer. And so until we value uh, people doing it right, uh, you will continue to have these kind of issues. I mean, the U.S. fleet, we do it best in the world, no doubt. But the problem is we import the place, we import our dirty secret, and I've said this before, is that we import the fish from all the places that are doing it wrong. So know your fishermen, know your fish. Uh, you know, in New England, I, I love these guys, uh, New England fishmongers, my friend uh, Tim Ryder, I'm hoping to get him on there. Uh, if you're in New England and you're looking for a really safe local source of seafood um, in the New England area, that man is doing a great job uh, providing that. You might want to check him out there. There are New England fishmongers on Instagram. I, I think we can both agree, me and Tim, uh, the owner of that, have come a long way from when we were roommates and used to sleep on pizza boxes uh, after big nights. But uh, those days are way behind him. Uh, his commitment to uh, doing things right fishing is not, are not, though. He has continued on with that. He's a great guy. He's got a great business. Uh, New England fishmongers. Check them out if you're in the New England area. Even if you're not in the New England area and you just want to look at a, a, a vertically integrated company that's, that's doing seafood right, um, I highly recommend uh, checking them out. Um, let's see. What other things do we have from uh, – yeah. Yeah, the plastic one, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a bad one. There's no doubt. We have major, major problems with plastic. I, I – I see plastic all the time. I, 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 I don't know. They're saying, and I don't know, and maybe this is true. They're saying 48% or 50% of it is fishing gear. I don't know if the number is truly that high. We see tons and tons of trash. Uh, you know, and my understanding is a lot of it comes from, you know, all over the world. Because here in Hawaii, we have the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, you know, just to our east. And I've heard some fishermen say that's fictitious. I disagree with that. We get lots of trash. I believe it's real. I don't believe it's how uh, people perceive it. See, the thing is, a lot of times on uh, like on images, they show it, and they always use that thing. It's a, a blob twice the size as Texas. Okay, so they they show a greatly inflated number. Well, you're not going to be able to look on Google Earth and actually find garbage that's floating on the surface as just like you know twice the size of the state of Texas because most of it's microplastics that are broken down in the upper water column. And so it's more like a plasticky soup. But 
I, I had a personal experience where I drove through garbage uh, from my way from Honolulu to San Francisco. And I guess I just, I, 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 got, I got in the gyre just right, but uh, three days of nothing but pure fucking trash. Uh, we, we just, we had a spotlight, but even with the spotlight at night, uh, only going six knots, I was dodging, uh, dodging nets and stuff all night. Even with that, three days straight, as far as you could see, there was just garbage all over the surface. Like you've never seen so many nets, just like would make you throw up. And, um, but even with, even with a spotlight, I ended up wrapping the wheel three different times because there was just so much nets and stuff. And a lot of the nets were like really hard to see, but, uh, nope, it's, it, it's real. We have a huge garbage problem and, uh, we have a huge plastic problem and we definitely need to work on it again. You know, you, you think about these nets, um, a lot of the nets we find, uh, Again, it's like I, I, a lot of them are just they're not from here. They, they, they're not definitely not from Hawaii. Hawaii hasn't had net fisheries. Uh, it was been banned. Well, they, they have like lay nets for fishing in shore and catching on pelu, but like bottom dragging and purse has been banned around Hawaii for uh, I believe since the '80s. So it, it's been a really long time. So that 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 stuff isn't coming out locally. It comes from all over the world. We find. Um, Big, big nets. Like people call them cargo nets here a lot of times. And and with my commercial fishing background, I know most of the time what we find is not actually a cargo net. Most of the time what you find are uh, cod ends um, that were got torn out. Like I found full cod ends with the zipper and everything, bellies and nets. Uh, mostly what we find are like nets that got uh, like bottom fishing and trawling nets from other areas of the world, uh, the West Coast, uh, you know, Asia, we find that. We find old drift nets. Uh, that's probably the most disgusting thing I've ever found. I found an old drift net um, that was a monofilament drift net. And so the, the cod ends and, uh, and the bellies, most of that stuff floats, right? It's got floats on it. And um, I, I, like, you very rarely see anything entangled in it. But I did find an old drift net. And uh, that was just gross, man. That one had – it was awful. Uh, it had like a dead sea turtle in it. It had uh, like a dead swordfish and dead spearfish. And, uh, you know, this is before the days when we had a camera on the boat all the time. But uh, I don't know. I, I stacked that thing up on the boat and it was just, I don't even know how much gear it was. It was just gross, man. And, it, and, and the sad part was that, that, that net continued to fish long after they lost it. Um, it kept fishing and it's called a ghost net. So that is a big problem. Um, I would say that one solution to that is try to, you know, try to focus on hook and line fisheries uh, that don't keep, you know, that, that don't have these sort of problems. I mean, every fishery has a problem. Like there's every fishery just about has some issue, but there are fisheries that are much, 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 much better. Um, my, my personal fishery, uh, the argument probably is that we catch too many smaller tunas and the most unsustainable part of our fishery is probably the bait source. And that's, that's true for long lining out here as well, is that um, we bring in bait from other areas of the world. And that's getting harder and harder and harder uh, as the bait stocks have been overfished in other places. So um, that is also like in the big picture kind of consideration thing. Um, I'm involved with two different projects coming up. I'm actually involved in three grants. I'm doing a lot of grant work um, this year, if everything goes according to plan. 
God willing, COVID willing, and all those things. Uh, I've got a lot of grant work going on uh, with experimental fishing gear. And uh, the motivation I had behind this experimental fishing gear uh, was multiple things. A, um, I'm trying to reduce bycatch by the use of artificials. Um, I'm also trying to reduce the pressure on bait fish, um, uh, the samas, the sardines, uh, trying to reduce the pressure on a lot of those bait stocks. Because again, uh, you know, even if what we're targeting isn't, it is considered sustainable, a lot of the bait from these places is not, they're in a lot of trouble. So um, I'm involved in, I'm involved in that project. And then I'm involved in this other really neat project for enforcing um, illegal fishing with drones. Uh, I can't really talk too much about that, but uh, I'll be working with, um, I'll be working with some guys uh, monitoring vessels with drones to compile data to use uh, in the future for busting commercial, uh, for illegal fishing. Uh, since it's not real, it's not economically viable to have um, boats that burn a lot of fuel, can't cover a lot of area. Uh, you're going to see a lot of the future of busting illegal fishing and uh, is going to be uh, with drones, um, especially as we're getting into the future. We're looking at measuring the distance of long lines, uh, potentially as a management measure. Uh, you're going to see drones um, and not just the traditional like AIS systems uh, being used to measure and keep everybody honest uh, on, on gear lengths and uh, fishing areas. Uh, the future uh, is, you know, one thing with like uh, the Northwest Hawaiian Islands right now is that we can't economically send Coast Guard boats up there and stuff all the time. But the drone technology that's coming out, we're going to be able to do flybys and things like that uh, to keep people that are violating the U.S.'s EEZ um, out of there. Uh, we're going to have other ways to, to, to keep track of these people. But it will also be able for us to uh, enforce people that are doing it wrong um, right here, especially as a lot of the state stuff is starting to look towards federal regulations. Um, so a lot of your future, uh, your enforcement stuff is going to be done a lot smarter, not harder. And uh, hopefully that's going to clean up the acts or at least keep people accountable that aren't doing it right now. So I do have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming up uh, this summer. Very excited about a couple of different artificial um, Lures, I've, I, I, I on my own, uh, anyone that kind of knows me, they, they know that I myself have already taken the trend on my uh, short line gear, which is like basically like miniature long line gear. And uh, I've already started experimenting with artificials versus baits. And the, uh, the initial results are very good. Uh, sometimes on a side-by-side -side comparison, I'm out fishing traditional bait uh, with, uh, with, all, with just artificials. So... Uh, a lot of exciting stuff, and uh, I've got a lot of grant, uh, a lot of sea work days coming up with that. And then I'm actually in talks with uh, some other people about doing some studies for uh, striped marlin larvae. Um, if you've been following this podcast, you know that striped marlin around Hawaii are in terrible trouble. Um, and so uh, I recently have got contacted with a group, and it looks like I may be doing some um, different lar larval studies to kind of show that uh, the area, you know, west, southwest of the, uh, of the big island uh, is, a, is, a, is a juvenile place uh, or a nursery for uh, striped marlin. Um, there's some data that's very old to back that up. So I'm um, looking to be part of that. So really um, got a lot of really 
exciting stuff coming up for grant work this year. Uh, all stuff that's really close to my heart. Uh, trying to uh, reduce bycatch, uh, reduce the need for uh, bait, um, uh, fishing, uh, you know, officially vi violation type stuff. And then, of course, the striped marlin, which keep hearing me uh, hammer on, uh, you know, doing some more research on them because we really, we they're in trouble. They're in major trouble. They need our help. And so um, anything I can do for the research as far as striped marlin, I'm going to be part of it. Um, so I got that going on. Uh, you know, I the the whale thing, right? Like, in, yeah, I, I mean, I... I don't even really have any kind of rebuttal. I, I mean, I, uh, I don't think we should kill whales. I don't think they should be held in captivity. So um, no pushback on that one. I, I, I agree that, to that 100%. I've spent too much time around them. Uh, I just know that an animal that covers that much ground shouldn't be, shouldn't be in captivity. So um, personally, I think they should just have the ones that are in captivity. I think because you can't put them back in the wild, I think they should let them keep them until they pass away and they should uh, close the door on that era. I don't, I don't believe for a second the, uh, the, that we need the interaction experience that they claim that we need uh, in order to better protect them. I don't believe that for a second. So I think that, yes, I think that those should be a thing of the past. Um, I'm guilty of going and seeing Shamu and all his cousins myself, but knowing what I know and having spent a lifetime uh, surrounded with them in their natural environment, no part of me believes that any marine mammal should be in captivity like that. I just don't. I just, I've just seen what they look like when they're in their natural environment, and then you see them when they're in captivity, and it, it's just a very, very sad shadow of themselves. So, yep. I don't think they should be killed. I don't think they should be in captivity. Um, that being said, I'm not against, you know, some of the traditional uh, harvesting. If it's just like one whale here, one whale there for a village or something along those lines, I understand that. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm culturally, you know, I, I'm culturally uh, sensitive to that type of thing, but the mass murder uh, of them and rounding them up and, you know, or especially under the sake of research. Yeah, we don't need that. We really don't. Um, labeling dolphin safe. Yeah, I've got an experience with dolphin safe myself. Yeah, that's all bullshit. That, that's definitely, don't believe that label. So let me tell you my own personal experience with dolphin safe. Um, I used to have a Samoan longline permit. And so because I was a, a member of the, the Samoan fisheries for American Samoan, as far as the permits went, uh, I would get notifications of the mail in the mail of all the changes and things that were going. And I remember the day I got a letter um, fr from Noah, and I, I, I may even have it on my phone somewhere because I sent it to several people. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, right? And um, the ruling was that uh, so dolphin safe in the, in the eyes of management was uh, up to a hundred dolphins killed. And then once you got over 100 dolphins on a trip, then it was non-dolphin safe. But the ruling that came out, and this is why you know so much of this shit is corrupt. The ruling that came out was it was okay to have dolphin safe and non-dolphin safe tuna on the same trip as long as the containers were divided by a cargo net in the hold. Yeah, listen to that again. It was okay to have non-dolphin safe 
and dolphins save tuna on the same trip as long as they were divided by a cargo net in the hold. Yeah, isn't that fucking crazy? I can't even make this shit up. Yeah, it's, yeah, don't believe that label at all. Like, don't eat it. Like, there's the only dolphin safe tuna that I really truly know of for sure is hook and line tuna out of the West Coast, the albacore boats. Those are the only guys where I know that you can legitimately say that stuff is okay. Like, is like that there's uh, the jig boats, the bait boats, uh, there's a fleet on the West Coast. Uh, of the U.S. and Canada, <clears throat> and yeah, that stuff is sustainable. That's probably one of the best fisheries in the world as far as sustainability. Women bycatch. That's what you should be eating. That that is what you want. You want pole caught. You want pole caught or jig caught uh, albacore tuna. You know that that's what you want. You don't want like a tuna where you don't like maybe skipjack. Like if it's saying skipjack, that's coming from a pursing. You don't want to be eating that. That's another thing you can do. Right, that that's a fish you should be staying away from, because in my experience, there is no sustainable purse staining for tuna. It just historically isn't proven. That people I've heard people say over and over again, well, well, if it's done in the right fashion, it could be sustainable. Well, it's not done in the right fashion. It never has been, and it, historically, it just isn't done. Like it's not done. So the bycatch out is just ridiculous. Stay away from canned tuna unless you know it's it's pole caught. You know, make sure you know that it's, first of all, one thing to look for is albacore, okay? When you're looking for tuna, you want it to be albacore. If, if, if you see that skipjack on those cans, the, the, I don't know of any fishery that I can clearly say that you're going to get a can and uh, of skipjack that wasn't out of a net. So, you know, um, be really careful on the marketing. That, that, you know, that, that's, that, that is... That's another one. You know, if you're concerned about it, look for those albacore. Um, try and stay away from those purslane caught fish. Uh, another thing about plastic here. Um, yeah. Yeah, plastic is a big problem. You said you like to do beach cleanups. Oh, what do I normally find the beach cleanups around Hawaii? Uh, well, well, I'll tell you the new thing. It really sucks. And I, and I imagine other people that clean beaches as hobbies like I do or just because they do what feels right mask my god mask and latex gloves like that that's the new all this shit for COVID like everyone's doing to protect themselves they're not doing any favors for the environment I cannot believe how much of that stuff I'm finding it's so so gross that's like our new disposable part of our culture please consider like if your mask blows away or whatever grab it you know like I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know if so much of that stuff is it just runs out of the rivers and ends up, but my God, there is so, so, so many masks showing up. It's disgusting. Um, nets have always been a problem. Big nets get washed up. Plastic bottles, so many plastic bottles. It's ridiculous. I myself, that's been a real eye-opener for me. I have really been working on... Uh, I have really been focusing on trying to use re- reusable containers and um, because just, you know, we find out so much of the stuff that we recycle isn't really getting recycled because of the economics of it. And so, um, yeah, that's what I mostly find. Lots of plastic, lots of household goods and and uh, mask, man, man, mask, mask and plastic bottles. Those seem to be. And then, I mean, there's just so many broken down little plastics. You know, there's just tons and tons of microplastics from from 
all over the place that end up. But I, I, I'm just amazed at the amount of mask and bottles. So think about that stuff when you put them down or, you know, try and make sure that that gets in a recycling bin or a trash can. I, I mean, I, I know it's a crazy time we're living in and, and we need to have them most everywhere we go. But try and be conscious of, of where you put them because I'm just blown away by the amount of mask and, uh, and plastic bottles that we see. Um, what do I think about the Observer? Oh, so interesting. Um, they mentioned an observer in uh, Seaspiracy that was killed. And I have a friend who will be coming on this show uh, who was also an observer and was a friend of that gentleman. And so we're going to get his take on that uh, in a coming episode. Uh, we'll hear it right out of, out of the man's mouth instead of me making any speculation about that. We'll talk to someone who knows that story uh, very, very uh, intricately. Um, is MSC a scam? Is MSC a scam? Well, again, it's a it, you know it's it's one of those labeling things. I I, I think the problem is uh, there definitely are probably MSC labels that are sustainable fishery, but you know you know like I I had looked myself at getting MSC labeling for the cross seamount, and for me it was totally cost prohibitive. I couldn't even afford for their, their assessments and stuff. If I recall, basically, they, were, they threw a rough number at me that wanted like $1.2 million and then the maintenance fee was like hundred grand. Or the, the, the whole thing was for a small artisan fleet like us, it just wasn't even economically viable to have MSC labeling. So um, I know that uh, the Longline fleet has stayed away from that too. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I think honestly that, you know, I think, I think for the most part that that label is a feel-good label. I, w- I would take anything that says with a grain of salt because MSE makes most of their money from, you know, from, from the label, right? So the more seafood that's sold, then the more they make. So, yeah, um, yeah, Dolphin Safe, covered that one already, Dolphin Safe. Dolphin safe. Yeah, that's a touchy one. Yeah, that, that's a real deal, though. I mean, like I said, my experience is that even in the U.S., even the U.S., we're not great about that. Hundred dolphins, uh, hundred dolphins on a trip, and that was still considered dolphin safe. And then it had to be divided by a cargo net. So yeah, be careful with that stuff. Uh well, yeah, I don't know. That again, I'm just gonna say this, and just the last time. My takeaway is not that you shouldn't be eating seafood. My takeaway is that you need to put in the uh, you need to put in the time and educate yourself on what you're eating because we, as a society, are so far away from uh, our food sources today that uh, maybe you need to rethink that just in in general. Um, you know, ask questions. I would say if the people that are, are, are supplying you fish that can't answer the right questions, probably should stay away from that, you know, because uh, there's definitely people doing it right. You know, I know lots of guys that are doing it right. A lot of the guys that are listening here, I mean, 81% of the people listening are in the United States based on the analytics I've had so far. You guys are doing it right. I know you're doing it right. So let's, uh, let's continue to do it right and let's continue to promote USC foods and, uh, Let's, uh, let, let's work together on, um, 
let's work together on figuring out some kind of market strategy so the consumer at home knows the difference between what what we're catching and uh, the imports, the traceability. I I I know most of you guys are listening on Spotify or um, or on iTunes, but or Apple iPod. I'm sorry, but uh, if you go to the Anchor app and uh, you're passionate about any of these subjects or you have ideas and you want to be part of the show, you can click and I have a link on my podcast. If you look up Vicious Cycle Whiskey Women and Water Podcast on Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. I want to hear it. And uh, if you have a valid point or even an argument for or against what I'm saying, please leave a voicemail. I'd love to put that message on the uh, on the uh, on my podcast. I want to hear different opinions. Um, if you think I'm saying something wrong, I want to, I, I want to hear that. And if you think I'm uh, saying that something correct, I'd love to hear that feedback as well. Um, you know, I, uh, I think, uh, I think we're at a point where we really need to open up the conversation and really, really admit that some fisheries have gotten too good at what they do. And uh, I think we need to step back. I think, I think it's not unrealistic to say that we have gotten ahead of the curve that fish can reproduce. So I think we need to open up some of those conversations. And I think we need to incentivize the fishermen to do it right. And uh, that incentive is going to come from our market. When people start paying the difference for the right story, um, that's when I think we'll see an improvement for the ocean and for the fishermen. Um, so send me your messages. Give me your thoughts on that. If you think I'm a total dickhead, well, I may or may not put that message depending on how funny it is. And if you think I'm right, well, let's talk about it. Uh, again, that's on the Anchor app. Also, uh, as long as I'm on the subject, please like, favorite, or follow. Leave me a review on whatever you're listening. It would really help me um, as we move forward. Greatly appreciated. I want to get more people, uh, more people in our group, more people talking, and uh, you know, like I said before, this is, this is a place for uh, fishermen of all walks of life. I personally, so far, we've mostly just been talking uh, tuna and marlin because that's my circle, that's around Hawaii. But I really want to branch out and be talking to a lot of other people. I mean, my dream is when when the COVID and the world kind of settles down. I mean. I'd like to continue my dream of traveling around the world. I still have a lot of different fish I want to catch, uh, you know, just from my, my sport fishing and recreational uh, standpoint. That I mean, that's what I love to do. I mean, commercial fishing, like I always say, you know, that that's what fills my wallet. But, you know, sport fishing is what, you know, fills my soul. I, I, I love fishing. So, um, and I want to make sure that we have these fisheries for the future generations to come. I think... Uh, you know, it's funny when you get into a fishery and sometimes when you're younger and, uh, you hear an older fisherman talking about like releasing fish and all this stuff. And you think the fuck this guy killed a million of them. What are you talking about? And I, 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 and I guess maybe what I'm, what I'm highlighting is I'm thinking about cans, Australia, right? When I first got there, there, there'd be guys who just, you know, back in the day, they murdered them. They slaughtered them. They stacked them. They used to literally drive them through the streets. And, uh, today you know, those, some of those guys, the biggest murderers were all catch and release, or I'm sorry, were all, or were all killers. And today they're, uh, they were killers. And today they're all catch and release. And, uh, I think, uh, I used to think like, well, what the fuck, you know, like, like Jason, 
Walcott had said on one of my podcasts already, you know, he said, well, no one saved the Buffalo for me. And he was kind of joking and I, and, and I, and I can appreciate, but that mentality is kind of understood in the beginning. As I've gotten older and as I've spent more and more time in my fishery, uh, I'm beginning to have those same thoughts. I, I, I get it. I think when you're younger in the, I think when you're younger, sometimes you're kind of like, well, what the fuck, you know? And, uh, that guy killed. That guy killed all those granders. What's the big deal if I kill some? But I guess uh, you know, as you get a little bit older, sometimes you kind of start to think like, yeah, maybe maybe we did take too many, or, or you know, maybe we don't need to kill so many. Um, and I think that's kind of where I'm getting with my business. Honestly, I, I I'm at the point where I'm really been thinking more and more about um, value added uh, versus more weight. I, I mean, I've already been on that program for a long time, but may be hard to tell that sometimes from an outsider because they might think like, yeah, right, that, that guy still, that guy, wait, that guy brings in a lot of fish. Well, stuff is all relative. Just to keep this in mind, if you're listening, uh, that there is, there's a purse out there today that is going to catch more fish today, one, today, than I'm probably going to catch in a year or two. All right, so to put that in perspective... And they're fishing on the same biomass of fish as we fish with our handline gear. Um, a big portion of the fish that have been tagged and released from the cross seamount, you know where they end up? They end up in nets. They end up in purseiners caught in other places. So uh, our big eye population that kind of goes through here, um, you know, they end up they end up they end up in, in in other areas as well. So that's something to consider. One fish, as long as we're talking about this as well. One fish that needs a bigger size limit, without a doubt, is yellowfin tuna. And let me tell you why yellowfin tuna definitely makes sense versus uh, big eye. Not to say that big eye couldn't use a size limit, but around Hawaii, yellowfin tuna could definitely use a size limit bigger than the current one. Because right now, the current size limit is three pounds, which is basically saying you have no size limit at all. Of all the tagging data and everything I've, I've looked at over the years, the yellowfin primarily, with a rare exception, uh, they primarily stay around the islands. So a size limit on the yellowfin tuna would directly benefit all user groups um, around Hawaii. You know, like most of the ones we tagged, um, they end up inshore, they move around, they go up and down the Northwest Hawaiian Islands. They've had a few that kind of go rogue, but for the most part, they hang around Hawaii. So it's my belief that a yellowfin uh size limit would be really good for everyone, especially because of how rapid they grow. Think about this. When you get a 40 pounder is only a year and a half old. So it doesn't take long for those small fish to really become a bigger fish. Um, if you, if you let them, you know, the, uh, the yellowfin is probably one of the best models for sustainability compared to even a big eye. Why they're a better fish to catch in some ways is that they reproduce at such a younger age, okay? Um, so most big-eye tuna are sexually um, mature at eight years old, right? Now, by 50 pounds from the studies I've seen, but a yellowfin tuna, okay? And that's not much more than, you know, it's a pretty young fish. It's not much much older than a year-and-a-half-old um, tuna. Uh, you know... There's 50% of them are sexually mature by 50 pounds. So that fish is going to, that fish will definitely reproduce and grow if you let them. 
People have asked me, they say, what do you think the size limit should be on yellowfin tuna? And um, personally, uh, I think it should be about 30 pounds. That's, that, that's what I think it should be. Um, now, I think that's what it should be for sale, okay? Like, I understand keeping a few fish for, for, for retaining, for personal. I mean, um, but again, I think if you went up to 30 pounds on, uh, on, on yellowfin, it would not take long um, to just see a lot more bigger fish around. So that, that's what I think. I think a 30-pound th- size limit would be the right size limit for yellow. That's just my personal opinion. I know a lot of people think it should be smaller than that, but that's my belief. I fish, you know, whatever the size limit is now, I, I catch what I can catch. But uh, for the most part, we don't even keep yellow fin in what we do until the very last day Unless it's a big one. We keep big ones. We always keep big ones. So let me clarify that. But little yellowfin, um, the meat quality is not even very good on them. Like a, like if you look at, at the auction, for the most part, yellowfin don't get really nice. Like really nice consistently until about 40 pounds. That's kind of like the break. I mean, sometimes 30 pounds, eh. But um, if you look consistently for quality, it's over 40 pounds with the yellowfin. So you get a better product. Um, and... Uh, uh, I think that's a better model myself, you know? Uh, and again, and for me, I, I think about the yellowfin that way because those fish are staying around Hawaii. So I think that would be the first fish that you would really see a, uh, I, I think you'd see a difference very quickly with yellowfin. I really do. Uh, not so much with big eyes though, because again, the, the uh, they're, for the most part, everything I've seen, they're just passing through. I've seen, so many different thought processes over the years. I must have seen at least eight different models of the stocks and everything of the big guys, but um, most of them are passing through. They they kind of come and go, and um, I, I have just never seen anything that convinces me that they stay around as much as the yellows were. The yellows are definitely hanging around, so I think that's a fish that you can definitely, I think management changes on a local level will make a positive um a positive uh outcome for uh for for the hawaiian fisheries uh big eyes i think it's going to be much 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 harder uh much harder to 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 see any change uh locally with a size limit because for the most part the fish dig out of here and they just keep going on their way so but I do think with yellowfin, I think we need a size limit that is considerably bigger than it is now, um, at least for commercial sale. Not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to keep, you know, X amount, you know, make, maybe they do on the East Coast and everybody can keep, you know, four or five on a trip um, for personal consumption, something along those lines. But I think uh, I think most people around Hawaii, you know, we that fish here, you know, I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I liked your thoughts on that as well, on the size limit thoughts. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I've even proposed a slot limit, but God, nobody seems to like that idea. I mean, I, every, you know, every time I suggest a slot limit, and for those of you at home that don't know what a slot limit is, a slot limit is that a fish has to be over a certain size and under a certain size. And I've seen that work really well in certain fisheries. You know, the idea being that it lets the juvenile fish grow up and it lets the primary um, – you know, the bigger breeding fish survive. The The problem with that, of course, is that the Hawaiian longline fleet can't 
do a slot limit because they catch too many fish come up dead. So um, that will never be a reality in this fleet because there's just too many big fish that come up dead. And then, then you have the problem of taking the, the best fish and dumping them. So that, that will never work, but I, I think it'd be a great idea, you know, but uh, that will just never happen, unfortunately, in our fishery. And I've had a lot of people say like, oh yeah, right. You're going to let go a big one. And uh, yeah, why not? I mean, I just, I think sometimes people get confused that uh, just because you kill a lot of fish doesn't mean you don't care about them. You know, I think people get confused by that sometimes. So I'm, uh, I'm going to take a uh, quick break here for a second and then I'm going to follow up with a couple of the last questions I got here. Hey guys, welcome back. Just going to answer a few more of your questions and uh, <clears throat> we'll go on about your day. Uh, continuing question. I got, again, following rain gear. I keep getting this one, and uh, I got a lot of pushback. I said Grundens uh, the last time around, and I had a lot of people tell me that uh, that uh, maybe I need to try some other things. Uh, I had a lot of people, other people say Helen, Helly Hansen and Dark Seas. Well, I'll tell you what. I can't tell you because I don't own a pair of those things, but uh, if anyone wants to send me those and compare them, I will put them to the riggers. I uh, also had people say, I really need to try Guy Cotton. Um, to be fair, I've been using Grundens. Uh, but if uh, someone wants to stoke me out with a pair of those, I will go, I will give them a go. I will uh, give anything a side-by-side -side comparison. I've actually had a lot of this lately. I've had people asking me about sponsorship. And here's the thing, right? So I just started doing this. And so it's all very new to me. And um, I appreciate the fact that I have immediately gotten a great response. Um, but I also want to make sure that I'm staying very true to myself. So I am not opposed to adding sponsors uh, to the show, but anything that I sponsor, it has to be something I really believe in and uh, something I use. So if you're interested in me uh, supporting your stuff, uh, you, you're going to have to send it to me to give it a real a test run because I'm just... Uh, I'm not going to just pitch something that I don't believe in. Um, so as far as rain gear goes, um, I'm going to stick with Grundens, but that's because I don't have anything else to compare it to. I've had a long career uh, with Grundens, but if you truly believe uh, and you're listening that they're better out there and you want me to try them, I'll do that. Same with Maui Gyms, uh, sunglasses, that that question. I get sunglasses a hundred times a year. I guarantee you on Instagram, as it is, I get that question. What are the best sunglasses and um i have traditionally said um maui gym i always recommend having two pairs i really love rose lenses and uh i and and, and i like the piahis they've got a nice wrap around uh but that being said i'm open for trying other stuff that's you know uh one thing about fishing is experimentation um but you know right now maybe i'm just a little bit set in my ways but uh Rain gear, I guess right now, still Grundens, uh, gloves. Um, I like the Atlas gloves. Um, they make a good glove. I like the, uh, I like pretty much, you know, depending on what you're doing, you know, and it, it obviously it's going to differ from place to place if we're talking wiring fish. I like a blue pair of PVC gloves with the cutout fingers of a pair of snot gloves. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that is a, a yellow or orangey glove that uh, 
basically looks like Chester Cheeto's hands. You know, that's why we also, my old business partner used to call them Cheeto hands or Cheeto gloves. And, uh, you know, they're, when you first get them, they're bright, bright, kind of orangey yellow like Cheetos. And then it, they kind of quickly uh, fade, also called, uh, also called uh, yeah, snot gloves because there's a rubbery uh, type grip on them. So uh, that's about it in the gear department. I get that one a lot. Uh, so thank you for asking. And at this time, those are the best answers I have. But... Again, open to uh, trying different things. Uh, I think maybe, and, I'll, and I wanted to say this for the last, I got a very cool question um, earlier uh, today. Uh, right before I started to do a podcast, I had posted a bottle of Jack Daniels, and uh, a gentleman named Zane, or Zan, Z-A-N, had, uh, had asked me a question. Uh, question and it was long but definitely worth it and uh, he wrote podcast time hey i listened to all the hey i listened to all the podcast episodes i have a question i would love to hear your answer about i'm a brand new young owner operator of a commercial crab slash tuna boat in oregon that would be a sustainable tuna fishing for people that are uh, that were wondering about what tuna is safe to eat that would definitely be one of those fisheries without a doubt those are the kind of guys to support I would love to hear or shoot the shit about being a young captain and how to make the right calls. Keep your crew happy. Well, good luck with that, my friend. Um, you know, keep your... Oh, that, we'll get there in a second. How, how to make the right calls, keep your crew happy and motivated. I'd love to hear your take on all and how you started, how you felt on your first trip on your own boat and the feelings it all brought. Now... I know you talked about sometimes it's hard responding on social media and whatnot. Um, the industry out here is a lot of older generations stuck in their in their ways, and I'd love to hear your take on it. I'm stoked that you are doing these podcasts and keeping them interested and in interviewing the right people. It's fucking awesome, dude. All right, well, I love this kid's enthusiasm, so huge shout out to him. Um, thank you very much. And there's a lot there to digest, but uh, first of all, if he's crab and tuna fishing out of Oregon, those are sustainable fisheries. Let's definitely support him. Um, Zane Bode is, uh, is, is how I think you pronounce it, or Zan, Z-A-N-B-O-D-E. So uh, follow him on Instagram if you want to support another fisherman that's doing it right. Okay, so he's a young captain, young owner-operator. He says, uh, how to keep your crew happy? Well, you do your best, but at the end of the day, all of... Every boat is a boat marriage, right? I mean, it's just, you do your best to keep everyone happy. I mean, keep your crew happy, obviously, by making them money, keeping them safe, and uh, and, and catching, right? So um, I would say that that's one of the things about being a young captain and why there's so much stress is that a lot of of the burden is on you without a doubt to perform and so this i would say goes back to my rules of preparation for a trip prepare 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 and prepare some more uh the only thing that's guaranteed when you head offshore is what you've brought with you um 90 of luck is preparation it you know i it's when opportunity uh luck is when op, you know opportunity meets preparation and so be prepared uh put your time in at the dock uh if you think if you see something and you're like fuck that might break fix it before it breaks because if you think it's gonna break it's gonna break 
Um, pay now or pay later is the saying as a young boat owner that you can take to the bank with you. Uh, if you don't pay for it up front, you're going to pay for it later. And uh, usually when you pay for it later, it ends up costing you a lot more money and a lot of downtime. And it almost always happens when the fish are on the bite and uh, time is limited. So do everything in your power uh, to maintain your stuff properly. Have your gear and everything prepared before you leave the dock. Um, when you perform, your crew will be happier and that will keep motivation up. Um, I would recommend, uh, and I know this kind of sounds funny, but I'd recommend no drinking around your boat. Um, I, 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 I would not let the crew drink around the boat. I'd say, hey, this is a work spot. Uh, you know, we all have our demons. Myself, I'm having a drink as we speak right now, enjoying it. Um, but when it's time to work, it's time to work. And when it's time to drink, it's time to drink, you know? And uh, sometimes it's just best that you don't let that cross over. Keep the uh, partying on the shore and keep the fishing uh, on the boat. And that would be my suggestion. It's one thing if the crew shows up hungover as fuck. We've all been there. Um, just, you know, but let's just keep, uh, let's just keep any substance abuse or any, any demon we might have on land. Um, I, I think that's my best advice. The better you can perform, the better they'll be. And, you know, look, early on it, you're going to go through some crew guys probably. I mean, hopefully you get lucky. Um, I have one reoccurring crew member that comes back into my life, Vodka Boy. Uh, he was one of my first crew members and, uh, he keeps coming back in and out of my life, and I will always have a place for him, no matter what. He was literally just in my, uh, my, my, my yard working with me the other day. I always will always have a place in my heart for Vodka Boy because he believed in me early on when no one else did, and I was cutting my teeth, and he would go trip after trip. And, um, you know, so I will always believe in Vodka Boy because he believed in me. But, you know, it might just take a while. You're going to have to get some runs on the board. Um, but I just say stay devoted and uh, and kindness, man. And and this may sound cheesy, but you just I I, I always say when given the opportunity, kindness is the uh, is the best is the best best solution. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but th- there is no benefit in yelling at your crew. I have never ever seen a time when you belittle a crew that it has ever helped morale. Um, I've never seen that. Don't scream. I think, you know, it's one thing to be loud if it is in an exciting manner and it's emergency um, or something along those lines where you, you, you know, it's a necessity. But keep that very limited to, to the proper times and, 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 and just always do your best, um, you know, always do your best to take care of the crew um, and, 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 and don't... Um, you know, try not to yell at them. And, and if you do need to have, if there's something that's not working, my experience has been take the guy aside, uh, not in front of the other crew. Don't make it a big scene because nobody likes being called out on stuff, okay? And uh, just take the time to teach them. And I can tell you this firsthand. The amount of time you put into teaching your crew is going to adversely be proportional to how much money you're going to make. The more effort you put in to making them the crew you want them to be, the better off you will be. Take the time. Show them the way you want stuff done. You want it spliced a certain way. You want it tied a certain way. Take the time to show them how you want it. It may seem annoying at the time, but all the little details, all the little 
Um, all those little nuances, they all, they all matter. All the details add ultimately to the end of, to the, uh, you know, to the end of the day, they add to your success. So I highly, highly recommend, um, that you, you know, choose kindness. Don't, uh, don't call anybody out, uh, do your best to take them aside if you have any issues. And then, um, you know, uh, if you have some safety concerns with a crew guy that, you know, if he is using on board or whatever, you just got to get rid of him. I know it's heartbreaking. I've been through it a bunch of times, uh, but you, you just can't have that shit on your boat. You're a young captain, and sometimes you feel like you got to take anyone, but you just can't have drugs on your boat, man. It's just going to come back to fucking haunt you. And, and you know, it's just, it sucks because sometimes you just need a body. But well, trust me, pay now, pay later. Pay now or pay later. You will always end up paying. So um, if you got someone who needs to get, you know, he's got his demons, but he can't leave his demons on the shore, you're going to have to leave him on the shore with his demons because that will come back to haunt you without a doubt. Um, the industry out here is stuck, is a lot older generation stuck in their own ways, and I'd love to hear your take on this. Well, we are all a series of... Uh, of our own decisions and our own history, right? We, we, we do what we do based on the knowledge we have and working with the best available information we have at that time. So um, a lot of people get set in their ways uh, because that's what's worked for them, you know, historically. And um, I feel like uh, I'm not, you know, I don't know your fishery very well, but in, but, but in mine, uh, we definitely have an, a uh, an older mentality, and I think it's kind of shifting though. I mean, the old are getting really old, and there's not much younger, and so, um, you know, it, I think going forward, at least out in Hawaii, uh, you're gonna have to be smarter. You're gonna have to be more aware of your foot, your environmental footprint, um, as far as that kind of stuff goes. So, you know, as far as that goes, um, for the resource, I think in Hawaii, just by the nature of how things have changed, that will be the direction how it goes. I can't really speak for your fishery, but, uh, just, just be understanding that, uh, a lot of times the older fishermen are stuck in a certain way because of their trials and, uh, their wins and losses they've compiled and they may be different than what you've seen and they come from, they may be tired. You don't know what they've been through in life, you know, how long they've been doing it. They might be at the point where they're not really trying. And, and again, that leaves a great opportunity for you. I mean, I'm a big, big believer in trying different things. Uh, I've caught lots of fish in places where people tell me they don't exist. And uh, I mean, I've made a career out of catching fish in places where the old school thought was they weren't there, you know, all the way back to my New England days of, of targeting super deep locations when other people were in the shallows to... Um, you know, out here, I've caught a lot of fish in places where they say, oh, you caught fish up there. And so, um, you know, I, I would say always be open uh, to trying new things. And, uh, you know, I don't really think it's our place to change um, older people sometimes, except for when it comes to benefiting the overall fish stocks and things like that. So if you think you have a better system uh, to for the betterment of the industry, then maybe that's something you need to speak up about. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with that. Now, the thing that you asked, and uh, you said, I have a quote, let's see. 
you asked me about my first trip. I said, and how you started, how you felt on your first trip on your own boat, and the feeling it all brought. And so, as many of you guys know, and I'm plugging my book again, I wrote a book called Vicious Cycle, Whiskey, Women, and Water. And I thought, rather than trying to explain that feeling, I figured I'd read you a passage out of my book about that very thing. And um, I skipped over the very beginning, but uh, chapter three is called Working on a Shoestring and a Prayer, The Unlikely Friendship of Mighty Whitey. And this is a chapter um, about my very first trip as a boat owner. And so I'm going to skip over the first couple pages because I want to leave some a mystery. But uh, I thought I would read a few pages out of out of my first trip because your question exactly pertains to this section of my book. So here we go. As we pass the green buoy that marks the entrance to the harbor at 3.30 in the afternoon, I blared out M&M's Lose Yourself via my iPod Nano plugged into the stereo. Our food box overflowing, bait box filled to the rim, ice holes completely stuffed, and our bank accounts totally empty. We were ready to go. Aside from our sea anchor, we were totally out of parachutes. There were no lifelines, bailouts, handouts, loans, nothing. We had officially tapped every single resource available to us. We were 100% balls deep. We were properly outfit, outfitted to safely go fishing. We, did not, <clears throat> we were properly outfitted to safely go fishing. We did not have enough money or credit for another trip's worth of expenses. If something went wrong, this would be it. We had one shot. Brett had set out our two trolling lures as soon as we left the harbor. I plotted the 138-mile steam to the cross seam out. When I finally got done fiddling and syncing the new autopilot with the GPS, the old girl was already instinctively headed right on track, down to the very degree. This old girl still remembered her way home. I wondered which one of us was more valuable. The I wondered which one of us was more valuable than the other. The one recently and unceremoniously let go or the one who had laid in chains after many years of faithful service. She rode deeply and confidently, pushing water out of her way rather than going over it. Like a double malt whiskey, she was strong and powerful, yet remarkably smooth. She was a proud workhorse and eagerly went about her trade. I could almost feel her determined stare past the horizon as she effortlessly hauled nearly 20,000 pounds of ice, bait, and fuel. She, too, longed for something one would not find on land. I gave her an extra 100 RPMs, help satisfy our insatiable craving to go after that which lives in the distance. I stared out of the starboard side window from my chair. My right hand lightly wrapped around the bases of the throttles. I steadily tapped away my middle and index finger, a nervous twitch I had inherited while running the charter boat Bunny Clark out of the Gunquit, Maine. This was the first boat I captained at the age of 19. I would take that twitch all over the world and repeat it countless times on any vessel's throttles I got my hands around. We chugged past Kaivi Point, a barren rocky edge that drops swiftly into the depths of the sea. Within four, a, with 40 fathoms a mere stone's throw from land and 1,000 fathoms only three miles further out, not only was it the most western point of the island of, the, of Hawaii, but also, at times, one of the best fishing spots. It was going to take us an, anywhere from 18 to 24 hours to get to the sea mountain, depending on the weather and current. Brett walked into the cabin and loudly said, Yeah, buddy as he firmly gave me a Hawaiian handshake, a hybrid of a high five and a handshake that more or less looked like arm wrestling and a dr- <clears throat> looked, looked, ugh. Brett walked in the cabin and loudly said, yeah, buddy, as he firmly gave me a Hawaiian handshake, a hybrid of a high five and a handshake that more or less 
looked like arm wrestling in midair. We were officially doing it. We were fulfilling a lifelong dream. While I didn't have a cent to my name, I didn't have a worry in the world. I was totally confident fishing because fishing had always been totally confident in me. Whenever my life was in shambles, feeling like the world had given up on me, fishing always got me back on my feet, not just financially, but emotionally as well. Since I was a young boy, I had lived and died by my catches. Fishing has been the caliper for my personal happiness and success for as long as I truly understood the concept of emotions. The sea can gauge your mood better than a thermometer can gauge your temperature. The sea is a teacher and a doctor. She gives you what she believes you deserve in dosage prescribed by her likings. What you believe you need for your ailment may be exactly the opposite of what she believes you need. You may believe a slam job will fix your problems, yet she believes a broker is more important to the lesson you are supposed to learn. You'll find no better therapy than when both the patient and the doctor are on the same page. I was hopeful we both agreed that a slammer was in order. I cannot speak of organized religion, nor if there is just one God. I can only speak of the religion I understand, the religion of the sea, and the almighty power she has had over me since I was a young man. I truly believe you can find your soul somewhere between the horizon and the ocean. One need only play a favorite melody and set a loose gaze upon her to access the mirror of their life. One can find themselves in the ocean's glory like no other place on earth. As we steamed in the sunset, my undying faith in the ocean allowed me to be completely fearless of my empty bank accounts. So <clears throat> to be successful at life and or fishing, you can do neither scared. You must be fully invested and committed to the process. The slow days at sea weren't created for boredom. They were created to thin the weak and hone the skills of the loyal. The doldrums weren't meant to break men. They were created to clearly determine the true bloods. Any man can fish when the conditions are easy and the fish are on the chew. It's the attention to detail when fishing is difficult that makes the measure of a fisherman. The details are what ultimately adds to success. You can spend a lifetime at sea. Your, your past and present surround you as sure as the salt air. One does not stare out at the horizon and eventually not see themselves staring back. The further we go out to sea, the deeper we go inside our mind. The spirit of the ocean is a living, breathing thing, as alive as any creature who inhabit her waters above or below. To be good, you must be consistent, and to be consistent at sea, you must be experienced. To be experienced, you must have lived. To have lived, you must have found tremendous success and failure. The information we compile on our wins and losses ultimately determines our character, and our character determines our fate. You are given a chance to change your destiny every day at sea, whether you realize it or not. The course we sail, the heading we change, the birds we do or do not notice, the splash in the distance we manage to catch a glimpse of, all of these small details weigh on your trip's final outcome. Since age 13, I envisioned this moment of running my own boat a million times. Even then, none of my dreams felt as great as the reality. The warm sea air filled my hair and my heart. I admired the final moments of the setting sun over the notorious calm waters of the Kona coast. I couldn't help but think how blessed I was Brett cooked us steak dinners, and I, I took first watch after we ate. We rotated time at the helm, watching the radar and engine gauges every three hours. As usually, there was no traffic off the Big Island coast. The steam out was fortunately uneventful. We arrived at the Cross Sea Mount around 11.30 a.m. the following day with all our brand new shiny fishing gear ready to go. We thawed four of the 30, 25, uh, 25-pound cases of anchovies we brought for Palu, and parentheses chum, chopped down our first fish box of ice, prepped to take brine and fish, and trolled four lures off the stern. These were two chrome jets, 
trolling jets with single tenno hooks approximately 100 feet behind the boat off hydraulic fishing reels known as bandits. We set two slightly larger chrome trolling jets just 24 feet behind the boat by the stern cleats. These lines consist of two fathoms of rope connected via a 1,000-pound ball bearing swivel to two fathoms of 700-pound test monofilament and large double hook known as a, a fang hook that looks like an eagle's talon. Eight 12-inch rubber squids hung in pairs from four metal poles known as dangler bars. Two dangler bars were located on each side of the boat. One was a few feet forward of the stern and the other one a few feet forward amidship. We set up the squid with our four feet of rope and three feet of 700 monofilament connected by a 1,000-pound rated ball bearing swivel. <clears throat> barrel swimming, uh, barrel, barrel swivel. The squid was armed with an even larger fang hook in them, roughly the size of a grown man's palm. We set the squid up to just touch the water when, when slow trolling, dangling from the bars. The squid appeared to dance in the water when set at the proper height and proper speed. The water was its rich purplish blue, the sea was flat, and the air was unseasonably muggy. Sweat sat on my temples as I searched the distance for birds or any other sign of life, all while consistently monitoring for the fish finder for marks or schools of fish. The squid danced exactly the way we liked them in the calm water, doing what we call the skeet, skeet, skeet. They hopped enticingly along. The engine gauges all looked good. The boat sounded perfect. Everything looked good except the fishing grounds. The more we looked around, the more we discovered absolutely nothing. Not a bird in sight. Not a splash or bait fish to be seen. The fish finder had remained ominously blank all day. Not even a scratch. Despite not catching a thing, let alone even seeing a fish, we weren't discouraged. Perhaps it was going to be a night bite. A thousand times before, we'd seen the scenario where the mountain appeared to be a desert during the day, only reveal the ocean absolutely teeming with fish at night. This was commonplace, as was the opposite scenario, of sometimes not being able to catch a fish to save your life at night and the fishing being wide open during the day. For this reason, we fished 24 hours a day once we got to the fishing grounds. In our business, you can literally catch thousands of pounds of fish in minutes. But you may miss this if you aren't awake and trying in the period when the fish are biting. The way fish bites differ every day. Some days they bite all day. Sometimes they don't bite at all. However, it is very common for the fish to only have a 25 to 50 minute bite window per day where, the re where they really go off. You can catch 5,000 pounds when the fish are really biting. For this reason, we had to be absolutely relentless in our pursuit. At any moment, the day could make your whole trip. Daytime and nighttime fishing techniques are very different. We do more of our fishing during the day through slow trolling and being consistent on the hunt for a large pile of tuna. At night, we fish out on a sea anchor while making drifts in hopes that our paths and the fish cross at night. We illuminate the water with underwater light and throw a steady chum line in the hopes of increasing the odds of the tuna finding us. In Hawaii, we call this fishing style ikashibi fishing. Ika meaning squid and shibi being tuna. It literally translates to squid tuna. <clears throat> the reason for this is the fresh ika is primarily is, is the primary and number one bait at night. We jokingly say ikashibi is ancient Hawaiian for standing the rain because of how many nights we find ourselves working in a downpour. At sea, the darker the night, the closer you will get to your past. The music you decide to play in the radio dial at sea, the darker the night, the closer you will get to your past. The music you decide to play is the radio dial of your history. Van Morrison's Have I Told You Lately played as I stared at the setting moon. This is a song that always transports me to the New Hampshire backroads of my youth. Her name was Katie. 
She was tall, blonde, and wore the girl next door look like an angel. She was smart, funny, and kind. She infatuated me from the moment I met her at Wentworth Marina. She was the daughter of two well-to-do doctors from upstate New York. It was her plan to sail around the world, and she wanted me to join her. Just a mate, she would always say with a wink. She told me, pull over, pull over. I love this song. We have to dance. So I found myself with goosebumps despite dancing in the warmth of the summer air. The sky around us filled with the flashing luminescence of fireflies, and it seemed like we were dancing in the heavens above. You could almost touch the music as it drifted out of my truck windows. I will never forget the look in those crystal blue eyes as we danced to the song alongside my Dodge Ram pickup. Little did I know it would be the last time I would ever get to look into them. The following day, I was supposed to be her designated driver, home from a party. But I downplayed that role significance to myself. I presumed she would be able to find a safe ride from someone else or she'd spend the night at a friend's house. I called her several times, but I was never able to get through to her. Each time leaving a message letting her know I decided to go on an overnight fishing trip, it wouldn't be able to get her. When I returned to land, her slurred messages would be the last words I would ever hear from her. She didn't have difficulty finding a ride from an intoxicated driver who killed himself and everyone else in the car when he went off the road. The irony, the irony of depression is that I drowned myself in the very thing that killed her as the reality sank in. I took full blame for not being there to give her a ride home. I climbed into a bottle that would take me years to climb out of. Completely ashamed of myself, I told no one of my claim responsible in the accident. People could sense a change in me, but they couldn't place it. They could tell I was drinking a lot more, but they had no idea why. I didn't speak of the accident or her again until 2017 when I gave away a lure she had given me. I had towed that lure all over the world, but I never had the heart to run it. Deep down, I always feared a fish would take it away and I would lose the last part of her I could still hold. The thing about lures is that they are born to run as we are born to live. I could no longer bear to carry the full weight of the cross from that evening. I had to keep living and that lure needed to run. It was with a heavy heart that I left it with Jack Kraft, a young fisherman that I saw a glimpse of my younger self in. I suppose I could have run it, but I thought it better to give it to the person with more time on the planet than me. Someone who still possessed the innocence of youth that Katie held in those eyes on our final evening together. I slowed the engine as we arrived in the area where I wanted to start fishing. Bob Seeger's night moves stumped through the speakers. It was one of my all-time favorite night fishing songs that always seemed appropriate as we lurked through the darkness. And that, my friend... Da, 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 da. You'll have to read the rest of the book, but I think it's safe to say that my first trip as a as a owner operator was extremely emotional, and uh, that chapter is uh, another six or seven thousand words after that. But uh, yeah, man, no better feeling in the world, no better feeling in the world than, uh, than the first time you get out there on your own boat and. Nothing better than when you put uh, together a big trip. I guess you'll have to read the uh, you have to read the chapter to know the rest of it. But uh, man, I just uh, I'm gonna be honest. I started crying, so I just couldn't keep I just couldn't really keep uh, keep reading right now. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, the there's just nothing. There's nothing like the experience and the feeling of your first boat. And uh, I hope you appreciate every minute of it. Uh, the uh, there's going to be growing pains. There always is, and uh, just learn to appreciate those growing pains uh, for what they are. And uh, you know, your first season doesn't make your career. 
And um, one trip doesn't make your season. And, uh, you know, just do your best. Keep your head down and um, be kind to your crew. Be kind to yourself. So important. Be kind to yourself. You're going to have a lot of stress. You're going to have a lot of anxiety. Uh, be kind to the people that are around you, your support units uh, back at home, your, your wife, your partner, uh, whoever that may be. Um, just choose kindness. Work hard. Keep your head down and just be true to yourself and be unapologetically who you are. And um, it's going to come together for you, man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. And so uh, keep your head up. Uh, you're going to have some hiccups. Everyone does. And uh, the other thing I was going to say, if you start off and you are on just an incredible, incredible run, stay very humble, my friend. You're probably surrounded by a lot of great fishermen and everyone has a great run, but everyone has a, uh, everyone has a dark moment. Everybody, every fisherman has hangups and breakdowns. I mean, I'm currently broken down as we speak. I'm still waiting to get my transmission put back together. That's a long, complicated story, but I've been down. It's the longest I've been down uh, from fishing in years. I've been going fishing locally, but uh, I'm doing pretty well. I, I can't complain about that. But, um, but you know, stay humble. You know, everyone has hot streaks and everybody has, uh, has, 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 has dark spots and weak moments. So when you're catching, stay humble. When you're not catching, stay appreciative. And... Uh, I hope my advice uh, can be carried forward for you and any other young fisherman, um, young boat owner. And I uh, just want to thank all you guys again um, for, uh, I want to thank all you guys again um, for listening. Again, over, completely overwhelmed. Uh, most of this is just off the cuff. I'm just, just being me. And so I appreciate you guys uh, spending your valuable time listening to me. I, I'm a big believer that our most precious thing we have is our time and it's our most limited commodity. So the fact that you're willing to give that to me is super, super appreciated. And so thank you. And uh, if you want to know what happened to the rest of Captain K on his uh, first trip, Vicious Cycle, Whiskey, Women, and Water uh, will be available in May on Amazon. And that is my preferred uh, purchasing um, there will be uh, digital, um, soft cover, and uh, hardcover books. And um, thank you very much. Again, just can't thank you guys enough. Really appreciate everything. Have a beautiful night. And uh, if you are a uh, celebrating Easter tomorrow or today when you're listening to that, I guess. For most people, it's already Easter. It's uh, 11.24 Hawaiian time. So for most people listening on the mainland, uh, this is already going to be um, Easter. So happy Easter if you celebrate it. If not, just have a beautiful day all the same. All right. Thank you very much. Aloha.